Thank you, so kind. My name is Dustin Johnston. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I am the director of Life Leadership College and oversee Next Gen Ministries here at Life Church. And anytime that I get the opportunity to come up and preach on a weekend, it's an honor. And so thank you, Pastor Aaron, for allowing me to preach today. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we're walking through the book of Galatians together. So you can go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, and we're, it, Galatians, it's a book, we've been saying it's a book, it, it is, but it's also a letter. It started out as a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And probably around 45, 50 AD, Paul would have traveled over in that area to help plant some churches. And now he's left and been gone from there for a few years now. And he's having to write back to them because as soon as he left, there were some other Christians that came in behind him and started to kind of change the gospel. And, and they just did it kind of a little bit here and there. But what we see is that the changes that they make, even if they're little, can lead to disastrous results. And so Paul here is writing a scathing letter. I mean, he is angry. You'll see it today. He's, he's furious. He's, he's writing to confront the false teachings and to get these believers back on track to the true, unadulterated gospel. And so in week one of this series, we dealt with chapter one. It was all about grace and the freedom that comes from a relationship with God. Week two, last week, we dealt with how to be saved, that it's not by works, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ. And week three, this week, we are going to delve into what might be the most livid part of Paul's letter. But within it, we're actually going to get some, some pretty beautiful doctrine of how to truly be free. So grab your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, your Bible apps, or if you just want to open up your Life Church app, you can grab your Bible there too. Uh, we've got the words on either side of me. If you don't have either of those, or if you're just too lazy to turn, then just look up there. They're going to be there as well. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You ready? It starts off good and it only gets better. Let's do this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Welcome to church. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Have you ever forgotten something important? 
I'm not just talking about has there ever been a time where something has slipped your mind. That happens to all of us, so I'm not, I'm not faulting you for that. But has there ever been a moment in your life where you have unintentionally forgotten an important occasion or an important date? Yeah? Uh, so I, by God's grace, I've never forgotten the most two important dates in my life, my anniversary or my wife's birthday. I've always remembered, but I've heard horror stories of men who have forgotten such a date. Some of you are kind of squirming uncomfortably in your chair right now because there's been a situation that you've had to deal with before. And guys, I understand. I get it. Like you love your wife so much that every day is wonderful with her, not just the special holidays, right? Try that on your wife. See how it goes, right? I guarantee you she's not going to believe the same way. And if you do try that, just know after service today, we're going to have prayer partners up front ready to pray with you if you, if you need it. I, I don't have the best memory, and so sometimes I forget things, especially when I grow accustomed to those things. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Pastor Aaron has said it many times before, what gets fixed gets forgotten. And I think that's so good. What gets fixed gets forgotten. When we grow accustomed to something, when we go, grow comfortable with the things around us, we tend to stop paying attention to the finer details. That's why you and I, we can get in our car, we can go to work, what, 15, 20, 30 minutes down the street, we can show up at the front door having no recollection of any part of that drive that we just did. It's because we've grown so accustomed to it, it's so comfortable that we can just get in and zone out and then show up. Paul's audience here had clearly heard and had been accurately taught the gospel. But it had grown so familiar to them that they were beginning to forget its fullness. And it could be very easy for us today to look in through this window at these Galatians and say, poor Galatians. Like we could pity these guys. Like, oh man, if you could just get it together and stop being so stupid, then Paul would get off your back and you'd have a much easier life. It's easy for us to do that. But... We could just look at this text for just a moment. Paul is writing to a group of Christians. They are Christ followers. They are church goers. He's writing to a group of people a lot like you and a lot like me. And he's writing to a group of churches in, in, a, in Galatia uh, that, that, that in some ways is very similar to a church in Germantown. I don't think it would be too far of a stretch for us to actually hear this letter today as if it were written to you. So we're going to read, we're going to read through it again. We're going to kind of go bit by bit. And I want you this time to hear it as if Paul is writing to you. And listen, it's not going to feel comfortable. In fact, you're going to get offended. I, you shouldn't always come to church just expecting to feel better after you leave here because it's not always going to be that way. I hope you do feel better after this, but at the same time, it starts off uncomfortable. So you ready? Get ready. Well, I'm going to read this again, and although I'm going to say Galatians, just, just take it as your name. Verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Bewitched is an, is an odd word, admittedly. Like, that's not a word that you and I use much in our common daily vocabulary. Bewitched. Another translation here says uh, an evil spell. Who has cast an evil spell on you? That's even more weird, right? The original Greek word here, maybe even a better translation would be, who has cast an evil eye on you? 
You know what an evil eye is, right? That you've had a parent that has cast an evil eye on you when you were growing up as a kid. It's that evil eye, that look that you were doing. You know what this is, right? I grew up in a pastor's home. So my dad was my dad, and my dad was also my pastor. That's some interesting, unique elements there. If you're not a PK, pastor's kid, then you might not understand all of those. But uh, as a pastor's kid, I would sit in the pews, on Sunday as a middle schooler while my dad was preaching from, from the pulpit, from the platform. And uh, I would often, I mean, I would often be distracted. I was a heathen kid, like just talking to a friend beside me, a 12-year-old, just backslidden, right? Talking to my friends, laughing at jokes, not paying attention to the incredible word, Dad, if you're listening to this best preacher ever. Like, but I was just distracted. And there was a couple of times, and it only took a couple, but there was a couple of times where I would be laughing or making a joke and the room would go silent. And it w- I, I would not notice it until it was too late. And I would look up from whatever I was doing and my dad would be standing up on the platform having halted his preaching, looking at me with the evil eye. I knew in those moments that after service, I would need to run away because it, I, I would not need to confront or face whatever that was going to be. And listen, my dad doesn't have a, like a, a, an angry or violent bone in his body. He has an angry bone. He doesn't have a violent bone in his body, but he does have a direct connection with God. And so I feel like if you wanted to, the ground beneath me could open up or lightning could come down and strike me dead for that misbehaving in church. The evil, ah, you know what it's like. I mean, there are a lot of Christians that have perfected this evil eye. I can't believe she'd wear that to church. Evil, evil eye. I'm not, I'm not that good at it, but you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not a parent yet, so I'll, I'll perfect it eventually. Uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's the eye that's like, man, I haven't seen him at church in a month. I bet he went and missed a single Packers game. Without fail, in every single service that I've said that in, it's gone quiet right there. I don't know if it's too close to home or what, but anytime I mention that, it's like, did he just go there? I can say anything else, but if I bring that up, it's like, no, he didn't. It's the evil eye that people cast on you, and listen, it is the, it is the, epitome of a religion. It's religion at its worst, but it has an effect. When people turn their nose up at you and cast that evil eye on you, it has an effect on us, and it had an effect on these Galatians. Paul continues, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul's saying, look, other people are looking at you with an evil eye, but that shouldn't cause you shame. That shouldn't bring you intimidation into, so that you don't do what you know is true because you yourself saw with your own eyes Jesus Christ crucified. Look, he, he's not saying that they were necessarily there. Most of the Galatians probably weren't there at the crucifixion. But Paul believes that his teaching of the gospel was so vivid, so abundantly clear, that it was as if they had been eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I would like to just learn one thing from you. Just one. Tell me this one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard. 
And it's a hypothetical question here. He's not really wondering this. He's asking this question. It's a question that if you've been a part of this series, you know the answer to. Paul most certainly knows the answer to. And by now at this point in the letter, the Galatians know the answer as well. They would say, hey, listen, we were saved when we believed what we heard, Paul. We were saved by grace alone through faith alone. So we get it, Paul. Get off of our backs. We understand what you're trying to get, what you're trying to say. Please just leave us alone. But Paul's not done. Paul's not done. He claps back in verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This is the crux of Paul's message. This is going to be the center point of our message today. It's a question that we all need to ask of ourselves. He's asking this game-changing question. If you initially received the Spirit by believing, why would you think growth in the Spirit would be achieved any other way? Let me rephrase that for you, just so that you can understand, because this is where we're going today. Why would God start our salvation by faith, but then expect us to grow by our own efforts, by our own abilities, and in our own merits? What Galatians chapter 3 is, is a call to remember. It's the title of this message is uh, Remember the Gospel, because that is what Paul is imploring his audience, the Galatians today, imploring us today, a call to remember. Remember the Gospel. And first remember, the Gospel saves. You've got to remember not just know, that's not what he's saying, because I know you know, and I know I know, and I know they know that the gospel saves, but you've got to remember, that's the key, remember the gospel saves. Remembering is not just some kind of intellectual pursuits. If you're a Christian, you've not merely agreed to a set of doctrinal propositions, as important as that is. You have experienced Jesus. That's the best news. This call to remember the gospel is not some flashcard recollection. It has to be specific and personal and real. So for the Christian here today, do you remember when God first saved you? Take, take a moment. Don't just stare at me. Take a moment to actually think back in your mind, to go there in your heart to the moment that you were saved. Do you remember when you first had that sweet assurance of God's salvation, that sweet assurance that your sins had been forgiven. When for the first time you sensed his presence in the midst of loneliness or you felt his forgiveness cancel out your guilt, do you remember? For you, it might be a specific moment that you can pinpoint in your history, you can recall the exact time it was in the back row of the church that I grew up in at, during the prayer time, April 2nd, 1987, 1992, whatever it is for you, you can remember. Or maybe it was the third time, the fourth time that I came to that Bible study with my friend. She just kept inviting me and kept inviting me, and I came and I heard, and I came and I heard, I came and I heard, and then I came and then something began to happen on the inside. Maybe for you it was Easter Sunday at Life Church. The gospel had been proclaimed and preached so abundantly clear, and there was something that just shifted in your heart, and in that moment you knew that you were saved. For others of you, it might not be 
a time that you can pinpoint, but for you, maybe it was more gradual. It's just over a longer period of time, or maybe for you, it happened when you were young, and so you don't even remember the exact details or the dates or anything like that, but you know that at some point in your life, God softened your heart and saved you. Regardless of which category you fall into or if it's one altogether different, you must remember. You must remember not only when you were saved, but also other God moments where he showed up to you so real in your life. When God healed you, when God answered your prayer, when he brought you supernatural peace in the midst of something that you were going through. Because it's in those memories that will remind you not only whom you believe in, but why you believe in him. So do you remember, can you recall and feel those moments where God showed himself real to you? Because the gospel, like everything else in life, can become so familiar, can become so mundane, so casual, that before you know it, you allow it to become routine. And for many of us, we've gotten to that place in our Christian faith where we've been a Christian for so long and we're just kind of going through the, you're here today because you're going through the motions. It's the right thing to do. But before long, you find yourself wondering, is this really all there is? Is this what the Christian life is supposed to be like, or am I missing something? And then it can either cause you to coast, or it could cause you to crumple. To just just get by in life doing the things you know you should be doing, or to just give up altogether. I love the message that Jesus had for the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. I know Revelation is a scary book, right? Apocalyptic, end of times, all of this weird um, uh, numerology and like uh, like symbol, like a, a lot of things going on there. But before it gets to all of that kind of intense stuff, uh, Jesus is writing some letters to a group of churches at the beginning. And in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says a few nice things up front. He says, listen, you've been patient. You've endured. You haven't given up. But I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And the cure for this, Jesus said, was to repent and do the things you did at first. To repent and do the things you did at first. To think back, to go back, to recall and embrace what it was like at the beginning. Life Church, there was a day in your life where you fervently loved Jesus. Where, you, where he consumed your thoughts and where your love for him impacted and influenced your day-to-day decisions. For you, it might have been five months ago. For some of you, it was five years ago. And for some of you, it was much longer than that. But it's time to go back. It's time to remember the gospel saves. But not only that, the gospel also sustains us. The gospel sustains. It doesn't just save us once, but it continues to save, and it continues to save. It sustains us. This is what Paul is referencing in verse 3. 
He says, do you think that you can start by the Spirit and finish by the flesh? He's saying, I know that you know what it means to be saved, but do you actually know what it means to live? Some of these believers believed that they could be saved by faith, but now that they were Christians, they were going to try really hard to be good at this. Does this sound familiar? Through my own efforts, I will show God that I was worth saving. But the gospel is not just how you came into the Christian life. The gospel is how God changes your life once you are a Christian. Hope you're following with me this morning. Uh, Not only are we saved by faith, we are also grown by faith. And if we fail to see it this way, you and I can become very religious people, not very changed people. And it's very easy for us in our brand of American Christianity today to fall into the trap where we believe that the gospel saves, but forget that the gospel sustains. It's very easy for us to say and to claim Christ conquered sin and death. Amen? Like we believe that Christ conquered sin and death and then to turn around and say, but I've really got to get my act together. Man, this was a really bad week. I've got I've to fi- fix it. It's very easy for us to proclaim and to think Jesus died for my sins and then with that same mentality to say, man, I messed up again. <laughs> I've got to try harder. And some of you might not even see the, the contrast between these, true, uh, these two ideologies. Uh, you, you might not see the friction that is being caused here. But what we're doing when we do that, what we're saying when we say that is, sure, it's God's grace that saves me, not my works, but it's my works that are going to keep me. It's my works that are going to make me better. It's my works that are going to make God love me more. We're doing exactly what the Galatians were doing. We're doing exactly what has incited Paul to write back so drastically. It's so easy for us to return to this idea that it's my performance. And that's the way that God sees me. We may not be working for our salvation, but we're definitely trying to work for our sanctification. I know it's a big theological concept. We've talked about it. We've mentioned uh, in the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, the word justification. Do you remember hearing that? Justification. It's this theological word that means when you came to Christ, you were declared innocent. Not because of your righteousness, not because of anything that you had done, but because of Jesus' righteousness and what he had done for you. A good way to remember justification, this is how I remember it, is this. Justification is it just as if I had never sinned. And justification happens in a moment. You can maybe equate it with salvation, that moment that you were justified, the moment you were saved. Sanctification, on the other hand, it's what happens after you come to Christ. And it's not a single moment, but it's many moments that build on top of one another, ongoing change, growth in the life of a Christian. And it doesn't happen in a, in a moment like justification. It, it, it's continual. It's gradual. Here's another way of understanding the difference between the two. Justification is the root of the Christian life. Sanctification is the fruit of the Christian life. You like that? Justification is the root of the Christian life. Sanctification is the fruit of the Christian life. And where we mess this up 
is when we label God as the lead actor in justification and ourselves as the lead in sanctification. Hope you're following with me. The, the only problem with this is the Bible. The, the Bible says something entirely different. I've got a few verses to share with you. I uh, can't possibly go through all of them, and we're not going to spend much time here. But if you want to jot them down, you can return to them later. I just want to quickly go through them. Listen to the lead actor here. Listen to the primary agent. Who is the one that is working on this? Who is the one that is doing on this? And then who is the one that is receiving? You ready? 1 Corinthians 6.11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you hear that? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, God chose you as firstfruits, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirits. Huh? Of who? The sanctifying work of the spirits. Romans 6.22, I love this one. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. It is abundantly clear through these verses and many other in the New Testament that we don't have time to get to all of them today, that it is God through his spirit that not only saves you, but sustains you. The great irony of the Christian life is that the harder you try, the worse you'll do. And I know for some of you, this just blows your mind. You don't know how to wrap your mind around this because you've been maybe taught some other way or you just believe some other way. We instinctually have difficulty as American Christians in receiving something freely that we're not working for. We have a problem enjoying a free gift if we don't feel like we earned it. I mean, you can try and try to perform, but the performance, thank God, has already happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now you and I get to reap the benefits of that performance. This message today is dedicated to anyone who is at the end of their rope because you have tried to get it right. I mean, you have, you have seriously tried, and you have exhausted yourself. You have tried to read the Bible enough. You have tried to pray more. You have tried to please God, and you have found it impossible. And it has left you empty. And it's left you wondering, like, what, what, is, it, what is it that I'm missing? And the good news is, for that person and for many more, is that you were never meant to carry that. That was never meant for you, and there is another way. Listen to me this morning, Life Church. Christianity was never about behavior modification. It's about soul transformation. It doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. It's not something you and I can do for God. It's something that God does and continues to do for us. The first time you believed it is finished, you were released from the penalty of sin. But as you continue to believe it, you are released from the power of sin. Through faith in Christ Jesus, sin no longer has a hold on you. You can be free. And that is the gospel. Yes, that's the good news. 
that this morning you don't have to work for it. You don't have to try, not just for salvation. We understand that. The Galatians understand that. I'm saying that you now as a Christian don't have to work. You're not going to be able to accomplish what you need to to be able to live up to what God has called you to. It's, it's out of your power. It's out of your control. And the good news is, it was never meant for you anyways. It was never meant for you. I want to conclude by illustrating it, by looking in the Old Testament. That's what Paul has us do. And it might seem off-putting. It might seem out of place in verse 6 for Paul to point back to the Old Testament. Look there. Galatians 3, verse 6. So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed God and it was credit. What is he talking about? Why here in this conversation about like uh, about freedom and grace and all of these, why bring Abraham into this? The father of our faith. What does he have to do with it? Well, let's look. Galatians 15 is actually what he's referencing. Uh, sorry, Genesis 15 is what he's referencing all the way back near the beginning, Genesis 15. If you were to turn there, you would read of Abraham's salvation story, the moment that he was saved. God took Father Abraham outside and had him look up at the open sky, and he said, Abraham, look up and begin to count the stars. I don't know how high Abraham could count, but it most certainly wasn't the number of stars that were in the sky. So Abraham, I don't know, began to count uh, one, two, five. That's about as far as I can go, God. Like, you're going to have to help me here. And God, God looks back at Abraham and he says, listen, I'm going to give you more descendants than all the stars in the sky. You've heard this story before. I'm going to bless the entire world through you, Abraham. And there is no way that Abraham would have had any construct or concept of how this could be possible. Abraham was old. Abraham had no kids at this point in time, and he most certainly knew nothing about the man that would come named Jesus out of his lineage. But God said that it was going to happen, and Abraham believed And in that moment, Scripture says that it was credited to him as righteousness. In that moment, Abraham was saved. But if you continue to read Genesis 15, you see that Abraham immediately wanted to have a notarized contract. (laughs) He, He wanted to say, all right, God, you said that you would do this for me. I'll then do this for you in return, and let's sign on the dotted line. The only problem was... They didn't have a pen and they didn't have paper. So they did what any person would do back then to make a contract, and they slaughtered a bunch of animals. I know that's uncomfortable for you, PETA. We're sorry, but this is what they did. This is what they did back then, and it was customary for people of that time. And this is what they did. They they would cut animals in two, and then they would put half of the animal carcasses on one side. I know this is graphic. And then half on the other side, creating kind of a valley in between. And the both of the party members together, both sides, would walk down this aisle together. In essence, saying, cross my heart and hope to die. Like very literally. They were saying, if I fall back on my promise, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, I will be like the animals here today. 
gruesome, but a very vivid depiction of a promise that Abraham intended to keep. Scripture in Genesis 15 shows that they were getting ready to walk through this thing together, arm in arm, Abraham and God. God doing his part, Abraham doing his part, and then suddenly, Abraham just falls asleep. I mean, just like, just like, kind of, just like standing up, ready to go down this line, and then boom, and Scripture says that a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Just hits the ground, knocked out, sound asleep. I, I don't know how long he was out, an hour, two hours. Scripture doesn't say, but when he woke up, I imagine that he was confused out of his mind. Like, what, what, God, I apologize. I did not know that I had narcolepsy. This is the worst time for this to happen. Oh, yeah, oh, all right, uh, the animals. Um, all right, God, I am ready to make my, to, to do this. Let's, let's walk down this line together. And God said, there's no need for that. It's already done. God basically responds with, listen, Abraham, I know you. <laughs> I know that you are bound to fail. I know you and all who come after you will fail to keep your end of the bargain. You will fail to keep the commandments. You will shift your allegiance time and time again. You are bound to fail. And so if we base this thing on you, everything will be nullified when you don't keep your end of the deal. But if we base this contract on me and me alone, I will not fail, and I will not fall short, and I will not mess this up. You can trust me with your today and your tomorrow because I hold the universe in the palm of my hand. And Abraham, while you were asleep, I walked the line alone. This has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with me. And so God, in the middle of, his, of Abraham's sleep, in a fire, walks down this line, holding up his end and our end of the contract alone. Oh, man. Listen, Life Church, the best thing about you has nothing to do with your church attendance, has nothing to do with how much you give in the offering, how kind you are, how funny you are, how smart you are, or how successful you are. The best thing about you has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with the one who gave his life for you. What we learn from Abraham's story here today is that the moment that we make a contract with God is the same moment that we break it. Because we are flawed, and we cannot possibly live to our end of the bargain. But thankfully, we don't have to. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus has already done that for us. He lived a life that we could not live. He died a death that you and I deserved. He defeated the sin that so easily entangles us. And he bridges the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And with arms outstretched on either side, he stood in the gap for you and for me. Not only so that we could be saved once, but so that we could be saved again and again and rest in that salvation and to savor that relationship and to thrive in this life and for eternity. That is the gospel. And where we get into trouble is when we don't remember. It's when we forget. It's when it becomes so casual to us, so comfortable and mundane. Life Church this morning, I am imploring you to remember the gospel saves, the gospel 
sustains. We must remember. So God, we, we do remember today. We, we, we recall and we reflect in this moment, God, right now, we all think back to that time where we felt your presence where we knew you were real and that you were acting in and for our lives. God, although we might be able to reflect right now and have those feelings arise and the emotions again, God, that's not going to be our day-to-day. We need your help. We are incapable of doing this on our own. We are bound to drift. Like Abraham, we will not uphold our part of the bargain. We will fail and falter and mess up. We're flawed human beings. So God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to remember. And God, that we would trust in you. God, that we would know that you walked the line alone, that we could cling on to your promises. Help us to remember. And God, for those in this room today that don't have anything yet to remember because they don't know you yet. They don't have a relationship with you. I pray that today would be the day. God, maybe they're even questioning right now, like what, is, what should I do? What is my action step? God, I pray that in this moment they would open their heart to you and that they would receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that your salvation would come and consume them. That they would forever, 10 years... 50 years from now that they would be able to look back on October 7th, 2018 as the day that you redeemed them. God, we are so grateful that it's not in our power that we're saved and it's not in our power that we remain in you. You give us the strength and the ability to run to you every time that we mess up, every time that we fall short. God, we are prone like Adam and Eve to run away and to hide as if you don't know where we are or what we did. God, instead, may we cling to the promise keeper. May we trust that Jesus paid it all for our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray together. And everybody says, amen. Amen.